Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Sunday morning, 1st of March, 2020. And uh, I'm 10Ks in to 10Ks a day for 10 days. And my legs are killing me. But here I am, editing podcasts, doing introductions, uh, being the hardest worker in any room. Uh, As you have to do when you're managing multiple projects to keep yourself sane, (laughs) I guess. You know what? Today's podcast is brought to you by Aussie Strength, and you may have heard me talking about them every podcast pretty much since we started. They've been an amazing sponsor and have really helped to develop the studio to what it is today, and I want to get the message out there about their great equipment. You can build a home gym just by going on to www.aussiestrength.com.au, checking out all their products and opening up your garage, getting all the crap out of it, having a garage sale and then putting things in there that'll actually help you save your life, like fitness equipment, you know, rowing machines, bench presses, squat racks, all the usual Valkyrie stuff. Like, get in and get it done. Stop stuffing around. Stop hoarding things. Um, And you may have noticed that I'm a little bit chirpy. That's because I'm, what, three coffees deep today? Uh, Ironside Coffee. You can check out their website you can actually order coffee to your door um, and they do teas as well i think and they do hot chocolate um, and they have that cool press that you can keep your coffee in also whse i talked about them last week work health and safety experts um, they work across a wide range of industries in australia uh, new zealand well worldwide really they provide a range of services to assist businesses navigating complicated OHS, WHS laws and requirements. The services that they have include compliance, uh, auditing, incident investigations, reporting, legislative guidance, all that sort of stuff, technical writing too. Um, and they assist with workers' compensation and injury management. WHSE can also provide labour hire if you need them. Just uh, reach out to them, www.whseexperts.com. Now... Today's guest is Ben Logan, who is the founder of Logan Law, which is a modern experiential leadership company based out of New Zealand. Ben was an elite athlete himself, so he has a health performance background and also is now a survival specialist, I I suppose you'd say. His ultimate passion is working with like-minded people His ultimate passion is working with like-minded groups, uh, teaching performance, survival, translating those skills and mindset strategies across into the participant's chosen profession. This is done primarily in the backcountry mountains of Wanaka training, 
um, area, I guess. This is done in the backcountry mountain areas of uh, Wanaka in New Zealand. And it's all around human optimization, survival training, experiential learning, experiential learning, exploration. You really have to have a good listen to his message today in this because it just it's just permeated with do hard things to be tougher. Put yourself into hard situations to be tougher. And also out of that toughness comes a certain softness, I think. You know, the tougher you are, the more you put yourself through. Perhaps you look at other situations a little bit gentler. Um, it's a great podcast and I really think you'll gain a lot out of this especially in the middle 15 minutes in the middle where he just goes right into you know what it is to be human in the modern condition and how we need to change that and do things that are almost life-threateningly hard perceived to come out of it the other side with a sort of you know almost evangelical experience uh I just I loved this podcast I love talking to him I think he's a great guy and I really want to go over there and try out this uh, survival, especially the family um, camps type setup, you know, the father-son type camp or, or the family sort of um, survival camp type thing um, up in the snow and mountains. Anyway, without further ado, let's get into this week's podcast. Righto. Ben Logan. Loganlaw.co.nz. A Kiwi. My first Kiwi. Is that right? Maybe. I think so. Welcome to the Warrior You podcast, mate. Thank you. I appreciate the time. It's nice to connect and the office looks wonderful in the background there. It's got stuff in it now. Hey, it's um <laughs> it's great it's great to have you. We've spent about a year trying to make this happen, I think, back and forwards and things take time. <clears throat> that's it. So Ben, just tell the listeners a little bit about yourself to start with. Give them a thirty second blurb on who you are. And then I'll expand on that. Yeah, nice one. My name is Ben Logan. I am 34 years old. I live in Wanaka, New Zealand, which is just out of Queenstown with my wife, my two kids, my Alaskan element Masker. And um, I have a company called Logan Law, where we run outdoor adventure-based performance and survival courses. Mm. Um, it's a wonderful place to live here. It kind of provides us with the environment that we can do the things we want, outdoor living, environment, challenges, and it's a beautiful place to raise a family. Yeah, and I'm going to ask you straight off the bat. I'm going to put you on the on the spot. Um, have we lost the understanding of what it's like to be human? You know, like to fight the elements, to be comfortable being uncomfortable, to be part of nature. Yes, we have. Yes, we have indeed. I think we lost that probably about two generations ago. Yeah, right. That was a Warrior You podcast. Thanks very much for listening, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> so, no, I I agree. Right. Uh, I agree that the human condition is such that um, I think we we strive for that, you know, challenge. And also, I mean, I know I yearn to be outside in the elements um, quite often. And I and I I look at people who are in their offices all day, as both we are right now, you know, and they're out of the elements and they they're not foraging, they're not fighting, they're not they're not really at one with nature. And I think that we are less human because of it. Yes. We've become incredibly domesticated in the last sort of 50, 60 years, and we've lost a lot of our intrinsic evolutionary strength and health. If you look back from day one, mankind's had to endure all sorts of hardships. Now, I'm not suggesting we need to go back and fight wolves and wolverines, but with that domestication, that sedentary lifestyle, 
um, that we had when we, were, when we were at Nomadic Hunt Together is we, back then we were strong, we were resilient, and we had to be to survive. You know, back then there was no any emergency. We had to we had to survive. We had to fight, as you well said. In the last 50, 60 years, we've become a lot more sedentary and we've lost that environmental conditioning that we once had, that strength, that resilience, that adaptability to the, the elements. And it's it's um, even, even discomfort these days is, is a bit of a taboo topic because a lot of people just run away from it. But when you frame it in the right way and when you get the right dynamic out in a group, out in nature, out in the outdoors, and you challenge people, they come out they come out just howling at the moon. It's an incredible experience. But yeah, we've lost our resilience and our, our want for challenge. And I guess part of my job is to reintegrate that back into people's lives. Let's go back in time before we go forwards because I want to unpack that in a moment. But you were um, an elite level triathlete, probably probably world world class that was never really realised because of you know all sorts of reasons. But um, and and also you had an adult set adult onset epilepsy. Did did you find that? For you, it was as much about the endurance of the sport as it was the sport itself. Yeah, I I enjoyed the hardship of training. I never so much enjoyed the racing, and it took mm. a long time for me to figure that out. Mm. I enjoyed the challenge of testing myself, and that was one of the reasons for moving down to Wanaka because I enjoyed testing myself physically uh, with the endurance side of it. That I really to elevate that experience for me. I love doing it in raw, harsh environments, like running up in the mountains, in the snow, in the cold, cycling in blizzards. So it was a combination of the training from the endurance side of it and all the ups and downs that brings, but also doing it in just rugged environments. Mm. So yeah, I, the training was a big part for me and it took a long time and a big part of me wished I, I, I learned that aspect a lot earlier in my career, mm. but it was, it was certainly a huge driver for me. For me, the you know I look back at the jungle training I did as a young as a young fella, and the more extreme the weather was, and the more downtrodden everyone seemed to be around me, you know, the more I started to feel comfortable and and happy at it. The adversity, do you think that that that's the same for yourself? Well, most definitely, most definitely. I I come alive. Everyone's wired differently. Everyone has different backgrounds and personalities, and we all you know get off on different things. But for me, rough. Um, adverse weather that sort of spikes the hairs on the back of your neck that, that's what brings me alive and that's that's why I like being in these conditions living in this environment and um, you know personally that's that's what wakes me up yeah so what sort of talk about your career your um, triathlon career so how how good were you as a young guy you can mm. you can go you can go hard here mate <laughs> <laughs> I like to think it was one of the best in training, but when it came to racing, uh, never quite equated for a lot of reasons, um, overtraining, focusing on too much one discipline and not the other, um, simple logistical problems, tactical problems. So a lot of it was self-induced. Mm. Um, overtraining, for example, getting injured. I mean, triathlon is a balance of three disciplines coming together perfectly. Mm. So you can be an incredible swimming cyclist, but if your running is weak, then you're going to be found out very quickly and your end result is not going to be good. So, um, yeah, I had some incredible training and I still had some good races. There was, there was some moments where I sort of showed some ability in races. But, um, yeah, I, th- I think I developed phys- physiologically to a, a very high level. and I think I still possess a lot of that. And, again, I've moved away from the sport now, but part of my goal for the next couple of years is to, you know, get back into some of that peak performance that um, mm. I have had over the years. Mm. Yeah, I was, I was actually a better racer than I was 
a trainer, although I enjoyed the training yeah. more. But for some reason, when I put it all together, I'd be more competitive. Um, I couldn't. I wasn't sure. the fastest cyclist. wasn't the best runner. I was a. I was an above average swimmer. But when I put all of them together, I was actually quite competitive. And I think that yeah, that had something more to do with natural pacing. Yes. Yeah, I think a lot of people. Yeah, it's 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 a, it's a complicated sport. There's a yeah, lot of dynamics, and there's a lot of fine aspects that need to come together to you know, as I said, um, create that overall result mm. of performance. And um, you, you you can be thirty percent firing and have a wonderful swim and bike but if the run or, or vice versa if you if you're lacking in the swim mm. it's um it's, it's a balance game and um there were many races where i never quite struck that balance in a race mm. but it, le- it taught me a huge amount of lessons and you know there's part of me that wishes i had learned those lessons earlier but there's a part of me that thinks well if i hadn't learned those lessons i wouldn't be doing what i am now so yeah it all comes around and i'm happy with with what happened and where i'm at do you think you'll race another triathlon Nope. <laughs> <laughs> oh, possibly for fun. No, I, w- I would like to. There's, yes. um, yeah, there's recently yeah. been. A, there was a word there, wasn't there? There was a word there that people yeah. people won't understand unless you unless you've been a triathlete, which is race a triathlon. Because when you say to yeah. a triathlete, "Will you race another triathlon?" that <laughs> that that is like balls to the wall for for you know yeah. nine hours. Um, I don't, I don't, I don't want to take on that time again. To be honest, with, with family and work, I don't mm. want to commit to that much across the three. My new sort of sport I'm really getting into is um, obstacle course racing, Spartan racing. So mm. it's basically endurance running with some very technical strength based mm. challenges and obstacles in the middle. Jeez, and dude, it's, you're it you're seems the like new, a wonderful sport. You're the New Zealand um, Ben Greenfield. That's what I've just worked out. Because he, he, I can see the similarities. Yep, yep, yep. yeah. I've seen a lot of his stuff, and he does great work. But that's my next challenge. I've got about three or four good ones lined up this year, and I'll be yeah. taking a lot of what I learned in triathlon and yeah. you know the, the the physical background and applying it to that. So yeah, uh, I'd like to do another triathlon, but I don't think I'll be racing it to what I would expect of myself. Hey, tell me if I'm talking too fast because I've had just I've had a double shot espresso Ironside coffee this morning. Little cash for comment there. No, you're, you're, um, good. you're good. Yeah, plenty more of those to come today. You're all good. So, talk to me about resilience, Ben. So, what what is your what do you think resilience is first and foremost? Yeah, good question. Um, it has a lot of different meanings for a lot of different people, but for me, it's ability to face adversity and come out stronger than when you went into it. Mm. Um, life is full of challenges, regardless of what you do or who you are. Um, you can be the wrap yourself in cotton wool, or you can you know go back to your career. You're still going to face adversity, challenges. Life's going to smack you in the face. For me, resilience is the ability to go into those unfamiliar situations, be challenged to the core, and come out strong the other side. So you can take those lessons, take that adapt- adaptation, and apply it to um, better handle future challenges. Mm. Mm, I like it. And do you think that mental toughness is the same as resilience in your in your experience? Um, they go hand in hand. They go hand in hand. I think resilience is mental toughness is certainly a large part of resilience. I think there are other fundamental aspects within resilience that are needed to obtain that or to be a resilient human. But I think mental toughness is forged. It's it's made through experiences, um, and I think it's definitely an integral part of it. Mm. And are they? Do you think they are? Well, how do I put it? Are they specifically? different like is can you train one and not the other are you naturally one or naturally the other what are your thoughts 
Um, I'm not a huge believer in that you're naturally one way or the other. I mm. think most of who we are and our personalities and our resilience or lack of resilience is formed through experiences and um, what's made us who we are, uh, byproducts, if you like. Um, yeah, I'm not sure how to answer that, to be honest. Um, I, I think I think they're very interlinked. I think mental toughness and resilience go hand in hand. Like mm. I said, I think resilience has other fundamental aspects within it, but I think mental toughness is certainly a part of that again forged through experiences and adversity yeah i i, I want to um point out to my listeners my position on this again just so that everyone understands it and perhaps it'll resonate with yourself as well ben but and i've talked to a lot of academics over the years about this um who have varying varying views on it but it would seem for the most part that resilience is made up of a percentage, I don't know what it is, of your DNA. So you're either naturally resilient or you're not in some parts. Also, there's nature and nurture for resilience. So if you've been brought up and you have dealt with setbacks or you've been told you're not the winner all the time, you know, unlike some school kids, you know, then that helps with your resilience. But also it's about how much you're bringing to the party right now. So how much sleep you had last night how much your diet is on point, how fit you currently are. All of this creates a recipe for the resilient person. You would see that all the time, I'm sure, with cold the cold water immersion stuff, which we'll get onto in a moment, where Certainly. on some days you're like, wow, I'm really, I'm, I've got this today. And then other days you're a little bit more fragile and you must see it in, in the oh. participants as well, right? Uh, absolutely. And I see it with myself. Um, fatigue is, is a massive factor. You, you struggle with the cold so much more when you're already fatigued, which is go. why we use it because we can fatigue people and then we can put them in there. Uh, we can do multiple sessions and the, the more they get fatigued, the harder they find it. Mm. Um, you know, when your cortisol levels are, are already high, basically when you're already in induced stress, it's mm. going to be a lot harder. When you're rested, recovered, you're far more resilient, which mm. again applies, which is what the science shows. Yeah. So, so that sort of supports what I'm saying. And then mental toughness. Absolutely. Mental toughness then is something that's forged through a frame of reference. So, And you would see this as well. So you're doing something really, really tough. And then you can go, okay, now I'm going to make you do this other tough thing, but it's not as hard as what you've done prior. And so you're able to deal with that because of a frame of reference. So you're, you're mentally strong enough to get through this because you can look back and go, I've done something harder, or I know I can get through this at the end. And so resilience supports the ability to, to get to that point. Correct. Yeah, I saw that. I saw that in the first time I ever saw that and understood it intimately was in Afghanistan when we got to the bottom of this mountain range and we just had to go over the top of it and I looked at 30 other guys carrying huge amounts of weight and they all looked back at me and I said, right, we've got to go over this. And they're like, yeah, let's do it. You know, And they, they all knew they could do it because in their training, in their selection they've courses, done they've done something harder actually. Um, and so they all just looked at it and went, yeah, let's do this. Now, some of them would have been less resilient than others because of you know, how, what they'd been through, how much food they'd eaten, if they're dehydrated, this, that, and the other. But they all had that mental toughness frame of reference to go, mm. we can do this. Um, yeah, interesting. Oh, definitely. And that's a, that's a huge part of what we do in our courses. We provide people with a new reference point for difficulty mm. so they can take that less of that, that experience, if you like, and apply it to future endeavors. They can yeah. always look back and say, hey, look, I can, I can conquer this. I can get over that hill, so to speak, as you well demonstrated, because in the past I've done this multiple times, if not harder. How do, you, how do you train someone to have that positive or combat mindset, I guess? Um, I, th- I think as an instructor, that, that plays a big part on you. You know, the way you 
frame that for people. You know, challenge can be seen in many different ways, but if we can promote it in a way that's going to provide them long-term, lifelong benefits, we can either say, this experience you're with me now is just going to suck horrifically and it's going to be unenjoyable or we can break it down and say look this is going to be very very hard but there's going to be lifelong lessons and benefits that we're going to obtain from this and we can sort of pinpoint some of those and sort of apply them specifically to their life mm. and what their goal might be whether it be a sports team a corporate team um, a group of guys whatever have you they've all got benefits and performance gains they're trying to get towards so if we can frame it towards this experience this hardship is going to really benefit that this is why and this is how we're going to achieve that they're a lot more likely to uh, you know, want to undertake it. And again, there's a camaraderie aspect. There's a lot of different dynamics you can use and play into that, which helps them get through it. You got any good examples of, of some of the things that you do on those courses that help with the building that mindset? Yep, I think positivity is just a big one. I think humor is a good one. I think um, not getting too immersed in the situation is a big one. I think not letting, you know, we try and break it down into cycles. Um, you know, people get stuck on maybe a 12k law carry or something for too long. But, you know, that's their day. But we try and we we try and people keep get people really mentally light on their toes. Mm. This isn't going to last forever. We try and add a lot of humour into courses, mm. um, things like that. Australians and Kiwis are good with using humour to get through adversity, probably more than any other culture, really, from what I've seen. Dark humour as well, in some some ways. Um, I find. I don't know what you would make of this, but last year I was, um, it was winter, I was in Tasmania, I was working really early in the morning, so four in the morning, getting up every morning to go to go to a, out to a mine site to help with leadership out there. And it was, you know, it was either wet or snowing and cold and I'd only slept a few hours. But I found if I got up and walked out and I got in the vehicle and looked around at all the other guys and went, oh, how awesome is this? You know, mm. people would be like, "Oh, Jesus!" But they'd all be happier. It's just that, just that positive. I, I, I think uh, I think the two biggest things we do is objective thinking. We try and keep people objectively thinking. When you're going through a hard challenge, it's very easy to get your head in the sand, mm. sort of um, like an ostrich, and all you see is tunnel vision. We try and really get people to always see the bigger picture, the reason as to why we're doing this. Because the minute you get their head in the sand, you know, it can stand there for a very long time, and it, you, it just spiral downhill. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we, we just try and keep mentally as positive as, as possible. And also, I try and really install the idea of, look, we are doing this. No one else is doing this. We're out here. We're unique. We're doing this. We're one of a kind. And people like to be able to uh, have that feeling of I'm mm. doing something incredibly brave that no one else can do. Mm. So, you know, the idea of we're, we're here, we're doing this, no one else is here. If it was easy, everyone would be here. Yeah, um, That's a big one, just doing something unique. I, I talked to Dr. Lee's not, but I don't know if you heard the podcast on, on, I did. yeah. And she was talking about, um, negative bias and positive bias and that some people, um, from a genetically positively or negatively bias. And one of the things, I agree. That, yeah. And one of the things she said is that you can, you can fake a positive bias and everyone can know that you're faking it as in, I can say, this is awesome. Like how good is this? And it can really suck. But everyone can know that you're faking it. And yet that even by faking it, faking a positive mindset and faking a positive bias actually makes you more mentally tough. Isn't that no, incredible? It does. It does. And, and as you would have seen with your selections and all sorts, and I haven't, I haven't been through that. I've been through other things and worked with other people in other areas, but the mind controls the action. Mm. If we can mentally stay sharp and in the right direction, the body will follow. 
So just the commitment, the mindset to just ultimate performance and we just keep on going. This is our goal and we're going to, we're going to get there and it's going to suck horrifically at mm. times, but our goal is just to keep on hammering, keep on hammering and keep the mind sharp, keep the mind positive, keep mm. the mind happy and laughing mm. and remember why we're there. I'm not, and, and you know, the body will follow. I'm not going to say that what I've done in the cold water space is anything like what you've done, mate. Um, after seeing some of those photos, which I'll put up on the Instagram post this week, but, um, you know, I had a swimming pool at the back of the house, winter time, I'd go for a 10k run, come back, get in the swimming pool and try and do, you know, a couple of minutes in there and then get out. And, and when I got out, it was the pain when I got out, not in there that was excruciating. Um, I remember it now. It was like, like having an ice cream headache in your thighs. Um, <laughs> but I, I wonder if, if your brain is able to, to stop yourself from feeling that discomfort or if it's, just a physiological response and there's nothing you can do about it but i did every second time i got in there it was a, i could get in there a little bit longer than the last i'm i'm far more on i, I lean far more to the side of adaptation it's like I, I apply the same principle as you're really fat and unfit and you're going to start running for a marathon it's going to suck horrifically for a while but you get to a period where each time is a little bit easier. It's pure adaptation, uh, physiological mm. adaptation. All you're doing is adapting to a new type of stress mm. that is difficult. And each time you do it, you learn some lessons, your body adapts and you find it a little bit easier. Mm. Um, there is certainly, there is certainly um, some med- meditative ways and practices. You can dull that pain out certainly. Um, but I think I'm, I'm far, I go far more on the approach that it's just adaptation. Your body is adapting to a new type of stress which is the cold, something that, again, the last couple of generations were really lost contact with, that environmental conditioning. And the more you do it, the better you get at it, is mm. the very simplistic question to explain it. And so you wouldn't go straight, get people go straight into ice baths, you know, get straight in there and crack on, or do you? Or is it just time that's... The- we do, we yeah. do, we do. And the reason for that is we don't have a long time with them. So say we've got people on a two-day course or a three-day course, there's not a lot of time in there to really uh, gentle people in there. I usually recommend they do some cold baths or showers beforehand until they mm. get to the course, whether they do or don't is their business. But um, we want to do a bit of shock and awe, really. And that shock and awe is doable. I want to recommend they keep on doing it post the course, but it serves a purpose. So um, yeah, we, we get people in as cold as the environment dictates. Mm. Summertime, it's a little bit warmer. Wintertime, it's um, you know very, very cold. What's the physiological response from cold water immersion? Um, the benefits or the response or both? Both. Let's go with both. Yeah, both. So I'll backtrack very, very quickly if we've got the time, going back to our sort of ancestral hunter-gatherer days. There were three sort of really main stresses the human body had to endure, and we've dialed two of those in. One was fasting. We always had to go without food. The, the ability to wake up and have bagels and breakfast and coffee, it wasn't there. We used to had to go out and actually hunt for our food. You're telling me they didn't have bagels had- back in the prehistoric times? <laughs> which means we had to chase, we had to be explosive with our strength, we had to have endurance. So again, that ties in with that. But I think, you know, the metabolic efficiency, the ability to fast, we know the benefits of that. The science has proven it a long time. And it's linked back to our hunter-gatherer days of going throughout days, we would have food and then we'd uh, feast. The other one was, you know, uh, physicality, our physical endurance, our strength, our explosive speed, our flexibility. They were all intertwined with our survival. We had to chase things. We had to carry people. We had to wear nomadic travelers. So, again, we understand uh, the nutritional side of it. We understand the the exercise side of it in times of stress. But the one sort of missing link there is we also had to endure extreme environmental duress. 
you know, we didn't have air conditioning. There were no heaters. There were no North Face jackets. There were no sort of Arctic boots. We had animal skins. We had uh, shelters and fire if we had the skills and resources to procure that. Otherwise, we had to be resilient towards the conditions. So we developed a physiological response. Our thermoregulatory system developed to a point we could you know, handle um, heat shock and cold shock as well. Heat shock was another one. But the body loves stress. Mitochondria love stress. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Our DNA, our genome loves stress. Um... Now, when people think of stress, they usually go to think of chronic stress. So there's two types of stress. We have hormetic stress, which is known as hormesis, and there's chronic stress. So chronic stress is the one most people think of. Now, that's working nine to nine in an hour of traffic each way with a shitty partner, eating McDonald's for lunch because it's the only thing that makes you happy throughout the day, smoking, drinking. That, that's bad habits. That's chronic stress. Long term, they'll make you very sick, and you will most likely die. The other one is hormetic stress, which came from herbology or um, toxicology, actually, which was the idea of uh, exposure to a substance in small doses had a hormetic effect. So it would challenge the body, it would stress the body, and uh, when recovered from or adapted to it properly, you would come back stronger. So the same analogy would be used for running. You know, If you run 5K and that's your limit, you run 5K. You rest for a little bit, you run 6.5K or 7K, and you keep on that bell curve, and over time you will increase. But if you are training for a marathon and you, you can only run 5K, then you think, well, I'm going to run 20K. That'll be a chronic stress. You'll pull a calf, you'll injure a ligament, and you'll be out for three or four weeks. Cold water training, when done correctly, is a hormetic stressor. It stresses the body. It stresses our internal organs, our metabolic pathways. And when done correctly, there's a lot of science showing its um, tremendous benefits. So some of those benefits are um, it can really help increase your brown adipose tissue, which is your brown fat. So we have a lot of white fat as domesticated humans. That's around our gut, our butt, uh, our legs. Um, brown fat is a healthy fat. It's full of yeah, all of us. It's full of mitochondria, and it's a very um, usable fat. So that's what a lot of babies have when they're born. You notice a lot of young kids that don't get as cold as often, you'll notice. Um, very good with mitochondrial health, mitochondrial biogenesis. Uh, mitochondria love stress, hormetic stress particularly the cold, so the formation of new mitochondria, which are the, the energy pack of our cells, if you like. Um, it can induce AMPK activation, which is adenosine monophosphate protein kinase, which is a very uh, powerful metabolic activation switch. I might just um, point out again, that Ben isn't looking at any notes and he's just pulling this straight out of his head. <laughs> Keep going, mate. I'm, <laughs> this is I'm awesome. Sitting in, I'm sitting in the washroom because it's the, the quiet room here. Yeah. Um, which is also the AMPK activations linked with a lot with you know um, intense exercise um, mm. fasting as well induces that it can help with autophagy which is internal sort of recycling system of um, unused mitochondria and dead cells um, very good for um, circulation cardiovascular health the immune system is a big one it helps stress the body the body requires stress we've had stress for millions of years we need it but again we need to reframe stress from uh, terrible jobs, terrible nutrition, smoking, drinking, bad habits, high cortisol levels all day. We need to try and remove that if we can and mm. implement strategies into our lifestyle 
and replace it with jobs we love, nutrition that's wonderful for us, deep, meaningful connections, having purpose in our life. And if we can do that and build these other stresses, these hormetic stresses like intense exercise, endurance, um, fasting, water fasting, um, food fasting, cold water immersion, things like that, you know, we're going to turn into a very resilient, um, healthy, strong, robust, adaptable people mm. like we once were. And again, like I said, we have lost connection with that. Um, but yeah, it, it brings tremendous benefits. But for me, the, the physiological benefits, the physical health that it brings is just a byproduct. And they're, and they're wonderful. They're very strong. But for me, what it does to the mind is the reason I do this. Um, you know, Wim Hof has been very big with bringing cold water training to the West. He sort of commercialized it, made it popular, and he's done a great job. But the, the craft of cold water training has been used for hundreds of years uh, by the Eastern Europeans. You know, there's, there's, we do P &E, um, sorry, um, PE for school. They do cold water training in Russia for school. Mm. Um, it was used a lot by the Native American cultures and tribes um, because they, they knew it prepared them for battle which was they had battle, we have life, we have challenges in life, and we can use it to prepare for it. Mm. So, you know, for me, um, we always promote the idea of sustainability with any of our things. So for someone who's getting into this, you might want to start in the shower. You might want to start in the bath, then progress to the outdoors, and like you said, in a pool or get into the beach in wintertime. But we always promote the idea of progression. So for me, the, the most amazing part is getting into the outdoors, into nature, into extreme harsh conditions and challenging yourself. And then, you know, not being a spectator, actually getting in and the Coliseum of the mountains and the wild springs and the glaciers in winter and actually getting in there. Um, and what that does for the mind is just phenomenal. I mean, even me, I've done it for a good eight, nine years now, the last probably four or five years, really quite extreme. And I st it still freaks me out. It's an it's not a natural experience. You're not something your body is saying you shouldn't be doing this. But again, I realize that it's going to provide so much benefit for me mentally and physically. But you know, mentally to take your clothes off on the side of a glacier with the icebergs crashing against each other, and to walk through the ice and punch through the ice and immerse yourself in there and have the mental commitment to say I'm going to get in here for a certain period of time, regardless. If you get down there with the mindset of I'll see what it's like, or I'll see how I feel, you're never going to get in. How long are we talking? How long are you immersing yourself for now at this sort of, you know, we'll talk sort of elite level cold water immersion? It's, I apply it the same way as I would with strength training or endurance training. You know, you have certain periods and there'll be days when you push yourself and there'll be days when you want to recover. So I think the longest I've probably done, that was sort of Mount Cork, a very cold glacier, was probably, I think, 27 minutes. Mm. Um, which is more than enough of, you know, which you should be dead or hypothermic, uh, well hypothermic, um, in slightly warmer conditions. And, you know, Lake Wanaka in the middle of winter, I think an hour 10. Um, and but I've got to remember, I'm, I'm always, I'm doing this by myself. So there's always a safety element. The goal is to test myself, come back, recover, then go do it again. So, mm. you know, with a, with a larger group, you maybe push it a bit, but I've always got to remember you've got to get out. And often when you get out, it's actually the hardest part because you've been sitting somewhat stationary and your blood goes to your vital organs and cools. So when you start moving, you start running or doing push-ups, your blood starts circulating and goes to your extremities. So your, your core temperature can actually drop even ah. lower once you get out. So that's, so if you get out on death's door, then you start moving, you're going to drop. So it's a fine balance. And I always really try and promote the idea of doing it safely and sustainably mm. and making sure you can actually go back and do it. But yeah, we've done some pretty cool stuff in it. And it's, 
yeah, it, you learn a lot from it. There's a lot of lessons to be learned. And, um, are, you, are you less likely yeah. to go hypothermic than someone who hasn't been in that immersion, even though... Oh, of course. Is that right? Certainly, yeah. I mean, my, I, I, have a, <laughs> I have a far higher resilience or thermoregulatory response to the cold. Yeah. Um, yeah, oh, certainly, yeah. It's, it's like... Um, I never really thought about that. <laughs> yeah, oh, certainly. I mean, I've, my body is adapted to the cold. Mm. Um to someone who hasn't so so if you and i were um, dropped if you and i were dropped in an ocean somewhere with temperate water where most people would would last two or three hours i'd last two or three hours and then drown and you'd keep going um i like to think so but again that's just going back to the basic training principle of Mm. if you took someone who can run 5k fast and someone who can't Mm. they're going to do a faster time yeah, than I never the really who can't because that, yeah. their body has trained for that. Yeah. So again, it, it's there's a lot of unknowns with it. Um, it is quite a new science and new practice, and people's minds are still slightly confused on to what it is. But it's a it's a form of training. It's an adaptation mm. to a hard stress, the same as gym or strength training or training mm. for a triathlon or whatever your uh, chosen hardship is. But it, it's mm. an adaptation to stress, basically. And the more you do it, the better you get at it, providing you recover and adapt in a smart sensible way the some of the fundamentals that jordan peterson talks about for instance is that life is combat life life is a struggle and that we shouldn't be trying to trying to run away from struggles we should actually be trying to embrace struggles um and it would seem that this is very much in that sort of realm it's a it's just a natural struggle it is life is hard like i said at the start whether you wrap yourself in cotton wool or if you go back to your past career Mm. life's hard um and that's you know we do a lot of survival training as well and Mm. people relate survival when they think of it they think of a terrorist attack they think of a plane crash on everest but there are many everyday survival situations we all face Mm. so i think the the mindset of survival every everyday survival is a formidable thing because it teaches you and it it promotes the idea of self-reliance And, um, you know, on our corporate courses and our sports courses, these are all transferable benefits that we use and apply to their, you know, take mm. back to where they come from. Talk to but, me. You know, we're, we're talking. Talk to me about survival, sorry, Ben. Talk to me about survival, Ben. Tell me about the, um, the, how does it start? What does a survival course look like? So a lot of our courses, are, no, most of them are actually bespoke. So we design them around, I, I really enjoy customizing training to individuals. I'm not a huge fan of a template. Hey, this is what we do and you're going to do that. So if you take a group course, you've always got a few who are overstimulated and a few who are underdone. So we try and do more bespoke training, which is tailoring it towards their experience, what they'd like to achieve from it. So basically we just start by, you know, what would you like to achieve? What's your experience? What's your background? Where would you like to go with this? How hard do you want to go with this? And we tailor it for them. So we do a lot of cold climate training, which involves Mm. wintertime alpine training with shelters and uh, very minimalistic things. Some people want to learn basic preparedness for natural disasters. A a single mother with three kids, she wants to learn a few basic things on how she can better prepare for an earthquake. We have some people going on, you know, treks or long expeditions and want to learn, you know, quite advanced bushcraft and survival. Um, so, so survival is a very multi-dimensional thing and everyone mm. wants to do different things. Mm. So again, we, we customize survival training for the individual and what they'd like to achieve from it. But my end result is to, again, to make them more self-reliant, to understand it and to have those benefits that they can transfer back to everyday life. Mm. But for me, that's exciting because it, it, it reinstalls for me the mindset that life, again, life is combat, life is hard, no matter what you do or who you are. Mm. And you're going to fight face survival challenges throughout your time on earth mm. 
Yeah. Uh, whether that's a cancer, whether that's a car crash, whether that's a natural disaster, whether it's the combat situations you and your comrades were in, we're all going to face survival-based challenges. And when you break it down, the underlying skill sets for climbing Everest, whether it be cold water training, they're all this, they're very they're very similar. Mm. They're just on different levels and applied in different directions, but they're the same underlying skill sets. Um, so yeah, survival training for us is 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 my probably my biggest passion out of this mm. because it's got so many applicable benefits and when you broaden the horizon you can really apply it back to everyday life which is mm. exciting i remember on my mountain warfare course having to dig a snow cave um you know into the side into whatever the side of the the hill it was and um you've got to, yeah you've got to build that cold the cold air sump and then you and then you, yep. and, you and then you have a layup and then you go in and 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 what was interesting was for me was it 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 snowed all night after we dug it. It was just the two of us in there. It was called Exercise Park Bench, so we're basically in there just in thermals, <laughs> um, just in thermals, no stove, anything like that, and um, you've got to keep each other warm through the night. So invariably, someone becomes Big Spoon. Um, but then getting out of the out of the snow cave in the morning, you know, you've got to dig out the entrance and put the entrance in your snow cave. So you're slowly filling the cave behind you to try and get out. And and I, I became a little bit disorientated with which was up, which was down, what was left, what was right. Because suddenly there's no there's no horizon in there. And no. you know, you've got to lift snow can mess with you. Yeah, and you've got to you've got to put snow you you know, at one stage we were hot, we were lifting snow up and dropping it to see if it was still falling to the floor because we weren't sure if we were upside down or on our side or which way we were going. Yeah, yeah, it's it's uh... yeah, it's 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 cool. It's cool, and you know you can you can make that a real cool cool group group dynamic, and that's what we use for a lot of our group courses and team building and leadership mm. because you apply those challenges that are so unfamiliar, but again they require the same skill sets as the mm. workplace, and you see people come alive. They enjoy yeah. doing that sort of stuff when you sort of frame it the right way and that experience. The difference between the difference between special forces guys and and elite sporting teams in doing these things that I've seen is an elite sporting team when they have this quick decision exercise like build this snow cave do this do this thing move these move these trailers with with one wheel do it they just muck in and go whereas an elite special forces unit will take a step back and go how are we going to do this and they yeah. and they they save huge amounts of time by applying the mental gymnastics at the problem first and that, which is always interesting for me to watch because they're the same sort of people except one has been taught the importance of taking a step back and assessing the situation. Yeah. Yeah. Which, which is, again, um, I don't, I haven't been in the special forces community. I've uh, worked and we've had instructors from SF and they, they all do the same thing. And we've also worked a lot with professional teams and they're very much hands in, let's just smash it and hammer it. And what we were trying to promote was the idea of, you know, these one percenters, you know, these one percent mistakes of could we have stepped back and made it actually, could we have done less work but had a better result? Um, so yeah, different dynamics and it's, it's cool to see how they both work. Yeah. But I, I would agree with you on that one. So you've got the you've got one templated course, which is the um, expedition course, which I think is seventeen hundred and fifty New Zealand dollars, which is like twenty seven dollars Australian, I think. Um, <laughs> Our men's expedition. <laughs> yeah, the men's expedition course. Yeah, how long? Tell me about that, just in case some people listening to it might want to chuck it in. Yeah, cool. It's a three day expedition um, here in Wanaka. Um, 
the idea is basically it's a, it's a men's self-improvement course. Mm. The idea is to get a group of men who are like-minded, come together up in the mountains, free of distraction, who are there to sort of learn some incredible skills on self-development and self-performance, go through some challenge and open up around a group of men, which is becoming pretty rare these days. Um, men need to be surrounded. Um, you know, it's, it's very often a lot of guys feel these days that they have very few people to talk to about actual problems of yeah. substance or topics of substance. So to facilitate this experience where a group of guys can come together up in the mountains, have amazing food, amazing scenery, go through some hard challenges, build snow caves together, build shelters, um, carry people out, get in the cold immersion and learn some, you know, some unique progressive mm. performance skills and mindsets and um, come back a better, come back better people. And also ones that form some incredible bonds as well, you know, to see a group of guys come together up in the mountains with the same goal of supporting each other through the highs and lows. And everyone's got their problems and they, um, you know, the first day everyone's a bit staunch. The second day everyone's just blasting out whatever. Mm. And it, it's cool to see the progression of a group of guys who are just strangers at first come together mm. um, and leave really close mates. Ben. Um, so that, that's a cool one. And it's, it's, um, that, that, that was one of our first courses actually. Mm. And it's, we've got one this weekend here in Wanaka. Mm. Um, we've got, I think three or four guys coming from Aussie and, um, yeah, it's, it's a cool place to host them and it's, it's a wonderful course. Ben is, um, is the food good? Yeah, it is. I, um, if I wasn't doing this, I'd probably be doing cooking. I love cooking, um, particularly meat and sort of using fire and things like that mm. and cast iron. So the food is a big thing. I think, you know, food can really elevate an experience to either shit or amazing. Mm. So yeah, we try and place a big focus on cooking, group cooking, using primitive means when mm. we can and just trying to have it's, the best meals possible. It's funny, man, because if you got, one of the questions that one of the questions my soldiers always used to ask me, well two questions actually, is how far do we have to walk and when do we get to eat? And I was just <laughs> thinking before, you could put me in cold water for twenty five minutes as long as I get out and eat something yeah. that's been cooked that's good. Oh, of course and, preferably and people, if you're going if you're going into unfamiliar stress it's good to have reward because it makes people work harder knowing they've got something good to go back to. Yeah, man. So, you know, we always go through highs and lows and peaks and valleys of, you know, challenges, but also rest and reflection. Mm. So we'll do some really hard stuff, but then we'll, you know, have an hour of free time. Where you can yeah. look at the mountains and cl- collect your thoughts and have a wonderful meal at the end of the day. Mm. And I, I think food's a really big part and nutrition as well. You know, we're not, we're not going up there to eat shit. We're there to learn how to be better men and nutrition's an integral part of that. So mm. we want to eat well in the courses. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm all about, you know, eating <laughs> yeah me too i love it it's my favorite thing in the world we've what about i was just thinking there's a couple of mates of mine here in perth and you know we've all got sons and i was thinking we might do the the father son survival course so talk me through what that would look like and um just bear in mind that i've got a seven and ten year old and they are itching at the bit to get out back country well seven and seven and ten is actually the most uh, seven and nine, seven and ten or eleven is kind of the the age we have most because mm. I don't know that they, they, they know a bit about it. They're super keen, but again, that would be one of my favourite courses by far, just because mm. you see the smiles on people's faces and the transformations that happens. Mm. So again, it's simple. The goal is to get fathers and sons um, free of distraction to spend quality time together, form new bonds, and kind of create a bit of a rite of passage. You know, that the fathers can mm. uh, reconnect with the sons and learn some stuff if need be, and the sons, uh, the children come alive, provide some hard challenges for them. Yeah, They need to rely on their fathers. The sons um, look up to them for advice and leadership of how to get through them. So part of my job is to teach. Part of my job is just to sit back and shut mm. the fuck up and just let mm. the fathers come to the forefront and mm. bring their natural leadership and fatherhood to the, the front and um, 
yeah, it's it's a cool experience. We've, we've got we've got quite a few this year. We've got a couple of groups coming from Australia, but mm. again, it, it's simple stuff. It's it's not it's not rocket science what we're doing. It's simple stuff. Part of what I'm doing is just teaching some of the things I've learned over the years, mm. but also just facilitating an experience where people can just switch off and get lost in nature and the beauty of hardship and mm. building a shelter and building a snow cave or sleeping under the stars and mm. making a you know tomahawk steak of a fire or coals jesus sold. simple stuff simple simple stuff that brings a lot of intrinsic enjoyment hey man and shout out to your wife can take a photo she can it's, um i've kind of got content on tap which is nice she's a um you know she's been doing it for a long time photography and videography and it's it's nice to be able to capture you know, since you were trying to capture stories and moments mm. and be able to relay that to our audience or people who like what we do, because you know, not everyone has that luxury. Mm. Um, mm. But I think stories and the way you capture things can really tell, um, you know, tell moments, tell stories, really create stories. And it's mm. it's nice to be able to bring that back from the field or the mountains and show people, you know, what we do. Ben, we've unpacked so much, man. I mean, what I've learned from this podcast already is to to embrace the suck a little bit more with regards to cold weather and, and to look more for that to those stresses. Um, I already had a bit of an understanding of mitochondria around my own triathlon training. So, for instance, heat adaptation and, and running in extreme heats and how that is quite similar to altitude training. Um, but I've yes. never really, yeah, I've never really used cold water immersion for what it was actually meant, meant for and, and how it must increase... Um, hemoglobin count so I'm, I'm really interested to unpack that a little bit further um, and having seen some of the incredible photos on your website which is logan uh, info at loganlaw.co.nz that's the that's the um, email address but the website is loganlaw isn't it correct loganlaw.co.nz yeah and it's just some of the photos on there and seeing what some of the people have been through you know i, I can't sort of promote it enough so i think i think we'll come along and do something my I sons and that. i and do a oh, video. Oh, you'd be most welcome. Yeah, you'd be most welcome. Yeah. My youngest um, son wants his own um, YouTube channel, so this might be this might be the way to get him to start yeah. that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's you know, it's it's just it's slowly and sustainably reintegrating lifestyle strategies mm. that bring out health, happiness, strength, and resilience. Mm. And it's something we all crave. It's something we all need. Sure as hell need. And it it brings it brings a happier lives. It brings you know better communities. And I, I think as well, you know, going forward. We've got challenges on the horizon, whether it be climate change or whatever whatever mm. challenges you face. I mean, Australia's had a horrific start to the year, mm. and I think there's an individual resilience and strength that's needed, mm. and also a collective community strength that's needed. And the more people we can, you know, and through your channel as well, you know, this is and this is why I reached out because we have so much alike. Mm. The more people who it's can true. become stronger, healthier, more resilient, have a stronger mindset, who are willing to help others, who have the capability to help others. You know, we're gonna we're gonna be living in a better times, but we mm. need to understand that life is a challenge. Life is hard, and start to implement some of these strategies back into our lifestyle so we, we can get it. I mean, it's you, this is not something you can buy. It's not something you can be given. You can read all day, but unless you actually go out and walk the talk, it's um, it's yeah. just gonna sit on the shelf. Yeah, Seth Godin in his book Tribes unpacks a lot of this too. You know, about having those those tribes and having those shared experiences and, and seeking those shared experiences as a tribe. Yeah. I mean, I can really yeah, see it's how. A, yeah. oh, I mean, you, you you would have had countless experiences like that. And I guess I come in this from the civilian point of view. Um, but to, yeah, to, to take a, a group of mates 
who are all like-minded because you have to be like-minded to actually turn up on the day, but to, to go through that challenge and see the duress and someone goes down then they get back up and you go down and you need help. And it's, it, it, it brings out some very primal emotions and intrinsic benefits that are just uh, immeasurable to me. Mm. And you do, do you do any skiing on the, on the courses as well, or is it primarily just get out there and tab? I can't ski for shit. No, I came from a surfing background. Um, so surfing was my version. And um, my wife actually used to be a ski instructor. So we, we do snowshoeing. We do a lot of snowshoeing. Mm. That's kind of, I like the the ability to sort of get into that meditative state of hiking hard mm. distances um, in the snow. But um, I will start this year skiing because my daughter's going to start. And I'll mm. look like a bit of a knob if I can't. So Bit of snow and ice yeah. climbing around there as well? There is. Uh, there's some things I'm... I don't do I don't do a lot of extreme mountaineering or mm. any mountaineering. I kind of um, it's never sit well with me. I don't enjoy putting myself in those environments. Mm. Um, I'll, I'll I'll do some very hard things, but I don't I don't enjoy heights or hanging off cliffs. Yeah, snow snow cl- um, ice climbing is um, it's very unpredictable. It's not it's not yeah. something you can. Yeah, you know, there's a lot of risk involved that's hard to mitigate. I found. Yes. Mm. Yes, and using ice. Um, axes I've and... got good friends who do it, and I respect oh. it, and I, I, I watch it. I like it. I just, um, mm. I'd rather sort of hone the things that I, I'm good at and I really enjoy, and um, yeah, I just mm. become a little bit less risk adverse with um I'm, kids and yeah, I'm really hanging out to do the to do the survival, you know, snow survival part, you know, because I've done survival in in you know desert mm. and and temperate climates, but and I've done a little bit with with my mountain warfare course in, in the snow, but, yeah. but not actually have to rely on yourself. I'd be very interested to see how it all works. Yeah. Actually. Mm. Oh, it's cool. It's cool. I mean, we include things like, you know, metabolic efficiency training, the ability to go mm. without food for a long God. time and still operate. Yeah. That's a, that's a really I'm big dead. trigger as well. That's one we use a lot and we've used with military in the, in the past is um, being able to physically and mentally stay very sharp, which is, you know, metabolic efficiency. Do you have to think uh, about under that? Duress, do you have to think about it? Yeah. Is it something that you have actually have to go, right, I'm now not going to have food for this amount of time and I need to stay sharp, so I need to turn some pathway on to do that? Or does it just, is that again another progression? Um, no, no, you've either got it or you don't through training. So it's basically fasting and um, a more fat adapted mm. diet. Yeah, not me. Yeah, oh, and nor am I at times, but it's um, you know, it's going into certain applications. It's the ability to go that food for a long time and still stay really sharp physically and mentally. And we found that on the sports courses a lot as well. You know, they're so used to carbohydrates yeah. and quick releasing carbs after training because yeah. they have to for their sports performance. They just drop like flies when yeah. they don't have nutrition. I, I keep wanting in. to do fasting, but I keep thinking to be to be the best version of me at any one moment. You always need to be redlining it with carbs, and it's. It's difficult because you have to be able to pick a, ch- a time, pick and choose a time where you're able to be depleted yeah. and, and try. Yeah, it's a difficult thing when you've got a busy lifestyle. Mm. Yeah. Doing it slowly and sustainably, I think, is the best. Yeah. Um, I haven't eaten today. What's the time? Two o'clock. Um, mm. Had a couple of glasses of water. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. It, it's good. It's, it's empowering. Mm. Yeah, fair call. Ben, where can people find out more, mate? Uh, probably best place is the website, which is going to be having a bit of a revamp this week. We've got a few new courses this year, which we are making a bit more, the interface a little bit easier to access. But again, just Logan Law, uh, law as in L-O-R-E, dot code NZ. We've got our Instagram as well, which is the dot Logan dot law. Mm. And, um, you know, between those two, we've got Facebook as well. There's links on there. Um, but yeah, just anyone interested, get in touch, even if it's just to say hi or ask questions. Mm. I'm, I'm here to help. So 
I enjoy helping people and talking to like-minded people who want to mm. learn more. So my um yeah, come along for the ride. My promise to you is that I'll get over there at some time in the next year and I'll oh, bring a big bag we'll of big bag of Ironside coffee and we'll arc up the uh, we'll arc up the press and have a have a coffee out there in the snow somewhere. Yeah, I'll be here. I'm waiting. I'm ready when you are. All right, mate. Thanks very much for being on the Warrior You podcast. Thank you. It's been an absolute pleasure. It's um, really nice to chat. And I, I would like to, um, you know, put it out there to the listeners that they should reach out to you and have a look, have a look at the website, and especially the the dads out there that have heard me talk on the Fit Dad um, Lifestyle podcast. You know, perhaps some of them would like to take their kids and get out there to New Zealand and just see the looks on their faces when they when they build a, a snow cave. And I can, you know, I can actually say from experience that it's one of the most amazing things to sleep in a snow cave overnight um, and to come out the other side of it and, and look back and go, geez, that was incredible, you know. So, yeah. Thanks, Ben. Absolute pleasure. Thank you, mate. Talk soon. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.